It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It takes a lot of hard work to make it look easy. This Mother's Day, Duluth Trading Co. can help you give her something that keeps up. Whether you prefer to shop online or in-store, Duluth has a motherload of gear, goods, and gifts to keep her comfortable and capable, no matter what needs doing. With Duluth's problem-solving details and legendary durability to boot, you'll finally be mom's favorite again. Check out DuluthTrading.com for all your Mother's Day gifting needs. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the podcast, the Nature and Countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine. My name is Fergus Collins and I'm the host of the podcast. And I'm sitting here in my front garden, in my veg patch, surrounded by sparrows who've done their best to eat almost anything that I haven't protected with a mesh. A whole lot of things have done well. My broad beans, my chard, radishes and leeks, all sorts of things are coming up. And there's a great joy in the whole process of growing your own vegetables and from seed and nurturing them and then harvesting. And we're in that harvesting stage. It's a beautiful mid-June day. And it's the small joys that we can get from producing our own food. Now that's part of this whole new season of podcasts that we've just begun called A Taste of the Countryside. Now we're not going to be dwelling too much on the triumphs and failures of my veg patch, but instead... We are going to meet a whole range of farmers and food producers who've got fascinating stories to tell about how they use local landscape, local breeds of livestock, local ingredients to make wonderful food. And this week's episode, episode two, involves our, our good friend and colleague Tanya Jackson heading down to Devon to a dairy farm that makes an extraordinary range of cheeses. And it's a complete delight to hear how the farmer works alongside nature and takes a great joy in the natural world around them. And also we get inside the dairy to see the process at first hand. So I'll leave you in the capable hands of Tanya and head down to the wilds of rural Devon. Is this a fiddlehead? Is that what you that's, yeah, that's what they call them, isn't mm. it? Fiddleheads. I love that. I should say that I'm here with Mary Quick of Quick's Cheeses, Quick's Dairy, on her farm, walking up a lovely country lane with abundant hedgerows with everything you can 
think we've got elder just starting to form those green buds ready to go into flower in a few weeks. We've got herb robert with its pink flowers poking out the side, lots of nettles, jack by the hedge, wild garlic, lots of cow and parsley. Lovely Queen's, uh, Queen Anne's lace cow parsley, it's so pretty isn't it? <laughs> it's lovely. Apparently you can eat that too, I should try it really I suppose. Is it lemony as it's supposed to be? Celery. Oh, yeah. Sort of parsley. Oh, I mean, sort of. Um, actually, it's quite like carrot. If you yes. eat carrot leaves, Gosh. it looks like carrot leaves. Rough. So you lived here in your twenties and thirties, and then you moved away for a bit. No, no, no. I, I lived here as a child. Okay. And then moved away. I think I'm 17. Oh, OK, right. Being an annoying teenager wanting to explore the big city, <laughs> as you do. Mm -hmm. And did you always think that you might come back? No, well, you see, I've got three brothers. I assumed that they would be running the farm. These fields that used to be just in arable. OK. I mean, the... Support system. Aren't the buttercups lovely? Oh. Of course, sign of an acidic soil. Right. Uh, um, from a farmer's point of view. Okay. Uh, this is a beautiful hay meadow. Yeah. And what we're doing is in the in the nineties, the support regime changed, allegedly to support uh, wild birds. Mm. But what it did is it gave no support to arable land that rotated into grass and back. Right. And if the RSPB were very, very keen on this, as I understand it. Yeah. But what it meant is it, at a stroke, it stopped mixed farming. Right. Because you, you got no support on land that came out of... Uh, this has been cut for silage. But we put it from being arable for uh, years and years and years, since the 90s. We're now putting red grass and red clover in, and that starts to bring more um, organic matter into the soil. Because actually, I know people are saying livestock farming is wasteful in the environment, climate change creating, but actually arable soils on their own Arable, 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 arable. Mm. Really starts depleting those soils sure, yeah. of organic matter. So I think we've got to find... I mean, for us it's easy because this has been cut for silage for our cows. Mm. And um, the soil just... It sort of relaxes. Yeah. starts looking happy. <laughs> uh, um, which it really isn't when it's, when it's just an arable. So we, we have to find a way of incorporating uh, livestock into our arable systems. Mm. You know, we've been harvesting soil organic matter, and I think that's why people say we've only got X number of harvests left. That's why we need to bring the animal back mm. into, into our arable farming. But you're, you're, you're all about balance here, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. Because you've got... I mean, was it it's quite far ahead of his time? Was it your father who put aside that part of land for wildlife for the for the trees well initially in the 1880s or not initially back in the 1880s when arable farming 
became, or farming in this country became impossible because we just got wiped out with the wheat coming from the prairies. Right. Uh, my father remembers when he was a little boy, he'd be 100 if he was alive today, when he was a little boy, he talked to an old man in the village who was a cobbler, right. who when he was a little boy had led the cart horses that sowed the acorns on the land that was no longer viable. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. What a picture. Yeah, and, and actually in all of these woods, you can see these, still see the hedge banks underneath. Wow. So that would have been, you know, half the farm went, half the farm area now went, went, uh, became woodland, or is now woodland. It's fairly mixed broadleaf woodland you've got fringing this meadow. Yes, that's right. And, bit. And, and this is a lovely little, I love this little copse here, which is, uh, you know, essentially going back to, uh, you know, we're leaving that to, if you like, for the wildlife. It's a verdant green, verdant green. English oak. Oh, that's awkward. Right. Just put a new gate here. Right. Well, this is lovely. Yeah. He heading down now into another meadow. See the tractor's been here. Yeah. Put a bit of silage. There's some big sedges here in the... There's a, a sort of wet little valley here which we put, put into trees. Okay. Yeah, we did put quite a lot into trees in the 80s. Yeah. So all of this went into, essentially, into wildlife rather than, rather than farming. It's, it's how do we, you know, how do we produce... Farming's about producing food. Yeah. But it is also about now, because we're so... Human beings are so dominant. Yeah. How do we produce? Uh, how do we make homes for our wildlife neighbours as well? That's you know. wonderful. And you've always had that in your ethos. Like that's been the family. You've never been tempted to, you know, make more of the of the land, slice it back. Um. Well, it, I think it. People. People are. You know, it's it's making sure that it's sensible. There's no point in farming. The area, you know, it's no point in absolutely farming right up to the hedgerows, yeah. I think. And I mean, of course, that's a, a privilege that either, you know, somebody with a sort of hundred acre garden mm. can do. I love this little valley with the stream running through. Wow, this is beautiful. Yeah. Lots of birds. I know. I love the, and I love the way that in a valley like this, pretty little valley with a stream running through, steep-sided little Devon Valley, you get the sort of birdsong echoing. Yes. So we've just cut this, this field for silage. But these are mostly our gra uh, grazing fields. Okay. And so it's been grazed and then had a bit of silage cut from it. Lovely and wet on my feet. Are you okay? Oh yeah, no, genuinely. Giving your, giving your feet a little wash with, yes. the, with the morning tea. <laughs> that sounds like a folk song. <laughs> yes, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> it's rich with wildflowers as well. Yeah. It's 
quite boggy, isn't it? With big yes, clumps of dark, thick grasses. Nice bit of squelchy mud now. We're walking up a woodland path. We're coming into the woodland now. I, as a farm, because of all of that woodland that was planted, oh, beautiful sunbeams and bluebells and stitchwort, um, you've got this lovely, I think that boundary between woodland and uh, and farmland is is beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It feels they feel like part of the same picture. Feels strangely lacking when you don't have one. Yeah. We have one without the other. Um, oh, and beautiful spurge. Ah, is that what that's called? Yeah. The sort of green-flowered yeah. weed. It is, I suppose. Yeah. Wildflower, I should say. Still, some of the the uh, primroses. Yeah, because it's been such a beautiful slow spring that some of those uh, earlier spring flowers are still here. A lovely, lovely aroma of the woodland. Mm, and these are quite tall yeah, my pine trees. My father planted, um, he planted some of the uh, woodland up to, uh, to conifers, mm. which are, but my mother is an artist and she insisted that that the woodland be planted in a in a nice sort of tapestry not mm. sort of hard hard edges so that yes there is some coniferous woodland and some of it's you know quite rich in understory you know you've got well there's ash and ash and a holly and a honeysuckle and mm. uh what's that over there yeah some ferns and rowan all, all yeah. sorts of things coming so um you know Coniferous woodland can get a bad rap, but it is. Um... Oh, violets! Oh, we yes. have we have the pearl-bordered fritillary here, <gasps> Ooh. which likes, um, which, I mean, what an extraordinary creature whose diet is violets. <laughs> I yes. Mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. I, I ask you. You know, you're designed to be rare, aren't you? Yes. Actually, violets do. When you, when you, as, as soon as there's a bit of light, you do get violets on the woodland floor here. Right. So it's lovely. Interesting. Under the beach here, it's more, more dense shade, isn't it? You might just go right up round. You happy walking through cattle? Yeah, very happy. Through the babies? With you, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> they get very curious. They're very curious. <laughs> and of course, I guess the difficulty is where you have a dog. Yes, right. Because right. they think of dogs as wolves. Oh. Um, do you want to walk up to the footpath or do you want to... I don't mind. I'd love to go through the cows. Let's go through the cows. <laughs> no day is really complete without... <laughs> like no, no meal is complete without the cow in some form. Probably <laughs> butter or cream. Um, but no... Or cheese. And no day is really complete without having a little chat with some cows. <laughs> they might well have the bull with them. So is Ask the bull them. dangerous at this time of year? I know we have to worry... Obviously, be conscious of the mothers. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I think as long as you're not 
seeking to get between the bull and his ladies. Uh-huh. I think. Oh, look at this. We've got a lovely brown and white. Now, what? perhaps you can tell me what type of cows these are. Oh, these are... Uh, we've got this breeding that we use. Hello. Um, <laughs> to make... Hello. Can I give him a stroke? Hello. Oh, sorry. Backing away. I moved too quickly. Much. So how we graze the cows is they're out for about ten and a half months of the year. Right. Um, because we feel that that gives... Sorry. You're right. Just get some rather big ants on my... Uh... Oh, yes, those wood ants. Jeez. The woods are absolutely full of wood ants, which I think are a good food source for lots of other things. Courting oh. couples, I think, often find themselves... <laughs> embarrassed. <laughs> in difficulty. <laughs> Hello. It's a lovely, fluffy brown and white... Yeah, so, so the breeding of the cows is, is, is both that's good for cheese making and also good for grazing. So those, an animal with a completely white face like that will show uh, Montbelliard breeding, okay. which is a French breed with high, good, very good protein, very strong protein. These are classically a Frisian Mm-hmm. or Holstein won't have any colour it will be completely white from its it hocks its, and its knees mm. and below right. so you can see almost all these animals have got colour below the below their knees which I, and then often that means they've got green, they've got uh, black hooves which and I know the vets say that hooves don't make any difference but actually I would say hooves do make a difference yeah so we're grazing these animals so that we're asking them to graze, if you like, that, down to something like that. OK, long, lush to short, scrubby. Yeah. And that then... What well, that then means is that then, then that then... They, that then grows up mm-hmm. almost immediately. They are very calm, very nonplus and very, very healthy. It's so nice to see... Because I associate Holstein Friesian with traditional indoor dairy farming yeah. where they're on this big turntable that yes. just rotates. Yeah. It's but these have got Swedish red, they've got um, yeah. Irish Friesian, New Zealand Friesian, a bit of Montbelliard, a tiny bit of Jersey. Brilliant. Can we see somebody who looks a little bit Jersey-ish? <laughs> I can't see. So. The, the Jersey, probably these very dark animals. That one over there is sort of slightly, sort of slightly jersey shape. Um, <laughs> they often have sort of slight brown ears. <laughs> jersey. Do you see? They they think that we're coming. They're licking because they think they'll be that somewhere to do with human beings is food. And people worry about cow calf separation. Yeah. But I think one of the issues is that if you if you do it and, and also do so early. Now, if you leave them together, mother and calf, they become incredibly attached and then mm. it's really, really difficult. The French did some work, I think, keeping the animals together and, and there were just huge um, signs of distress, mm. uh, you know, emotional distress. Whereas if you take them early, they bond to their pen mates. You know, okay. we keep rhythm in groups of ten. Okay. And also, 
if you look at them, they're looking at us and they're licking their lips because where does milk come from? It comes from people. Right. Which is, you know, you might... But that's kind of, kind of that's how we see all of that, that mm. world, you see? Oh. So they'll come and talk to us because they think there might be some food on offer. Oh, I'd love to stroke a cow. Do <laughs> you think this will be putting them off this microphone? No, no. I mean, they will come and... They will, if you, if, you um, if they squat, they'll... Because ah, they down. can't, they absolutely can't work out how we do that, <laughs> and they just get drawn oh, yes. in to come and talk to us. We've got a very red-looking one here. Are you Swedish? Yeah, she's got some Swedish red. I'm half Swedish too. So that would be a very sort of classical Swedish red look. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't she lovely? Sai, yes. Hello, you're very curious. We've got a lovely black one coming towards us here. Hello. It's looking at my hand. It's having a sniff of the air. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> the Swede. The Swede's coming closer. Hello. Hello. They're all friends, aren't they? There's no aggro argy-bargy at the moment. No. little bit. Well, they um, that that's sort of um, bullying behaviour. Okay. They they do that sort of nudging and nuzzling, and because their hormones are saying, "I need a bull. <laughs> I need it quick." <laughs> or she's just coming up to that. When when they're that way, they sort of stand absolutely rock solid. But that sort of chin resting and nuzzling there. <laughs> is, 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 uh... <laughs> we are now surrounded by cows. It's lovely. I love that sound of grazing. Yeah. So much to graze on. Hello. And you've got freckles like me. <laughs> I think she must have had ringworm at some point. Well, I hope that's not why I've got them. No, I don't know. I think I've got freckles. I do freckles. Big time. Oh, lovely. So you start smelling the smelling cow breath. There we go. Been waiting for one of those. <laughs> the quietest herd of cows I've ever seen. So we're looking into the milking, uh, sorry, the dairy room. What, what's this room called? Cheese dairy. The cheese dairy, so this is it. There's huge long metal troughs um, of these little nuggets of, well, what are they at that point? Curd. That's the curd. Yeah. So that means that's the liquid has come out of it. And that's the, the most of the liquid has come out of it, that's right. Up here are the vats. So the, the milk, yesterday's milk will come in here this morning. Okay. Yesterday's milk that, that was grass yesterday, mm -hmm. made by the, those generous animals, the cows, into milk. And, um, and then we, we milk them. We add, then we add starter, mm -hmm. which is bacteria that eat the lactose in the milk and turn it into lactic acid, which is, that's the core preservation. And the starters that we use were collected in the 60s and 1960s and 1970s. Wow. So they form this sort of heritage starter library. Mm -hmm. 
um, that were originally from raw milk, natural souring of milk. So each one of those, if you like, puts raw milk bacteria in that wonderful community of microorganisms giving really complex flavours. It's like yoghurt. Right. And we put that into the milk. It sours the milk. Uh, and then we add rennet. And rennet, um, that's, if you like, the first stage of digestion of milk that mammals all we all have in our stomachs mm -hmm. and that will set the milk uh, as it as the starter bacteria are souring it uh, and then um, uh, when it's firm enough but not too firm we'll then cut that junket we we call it junket and if you think about it that's what little miss muffet was doing she's sitting down eating her curds and whey right. was when it was junket okay so her mum was obviously cheese making and she gone <laughs> and said mum can i have some i'm hungry he said oh here here's some curds and whey and then we heat it up which with a cheddar you heat it up to drive the moisture out because you don't want it getting you don't want too moist a cheese you also don't want it going too acidic mm. uh, like say a cheshire and then you, we, um, when it's at the right texture and acidity, we then bring the curds and the whey down with a pipe. Okay. A pipe you can see sitting in that, uh, in that trough oh, yeah. there. And we start, all, all the curds and the whey comes down and we start draining the whey off. Nine tenths of the milk is, is whey. And what's left is the, the solid. Nine tenths? Yeah, nine tenths. Wow. So it's which is so the whey is mainly moisture, but of some some you know solids, a little bit of protein, a little bit of minerals, a little bit of fat. Um, what do you do with that? We used to feed it to pigs, which makes the most delicious flavoured pork. Um, that's the reason Parma ham is really sweet. Oh. Parma ham is the the pigs are fed from the whey from parmesan cheese so it makes a really beautiful sweet meat but people didn't we we didn't want to be any bigger as a pig producer than the amount of whey that we had and that made it not really you know you you either have to go very small and just sell very sort of elite bacon or whatever or go much bigger and we didn't want to go much bigger and we felt that making it some wonderful bacon was um you know, actually we want to make wonderful cheese and that, mm. can you do two mm. fermentations and be really expert at it? We, we weren't convinced about it. And um, so, so you, uh, you drain the whey off, you then scoop the curd, which at this point looks like cottage cheese. Okay. You scoop that to the side, it clings together because of the action of the rennet, you cut it into blocks, and then you pile those blocks one on top of the other. Um, and as it's acidifying, it gets more, um, uh, the curd gets more stretchy. It turns from cottage cheese that's clumped together into um, something that's like, well, it's the texture of a cooked chicken breast. Oh, okay. And it's, actually it's the texture of cheese strings. Right. I know what you mean. Um, I've seen them. You know that, and you can—it's stringy. And actually, at that point, if you dipped it in boiling water and stretched it, it would turn into mozzarella. Ah. So all uh, cheese—I mean, cheese, milk, and cheeses are amazing. You know what? What, what connects? 
and um, at that point we'll then put it through the mill which you can't see because it's been broken down there and washed okay. uh, and salted and we add um, Cornish sea salt okay most people use if you like normal cooking salt but I wouldn't use normal cooking salt um, in my cooking so yeah. I thought why do you know so we use a, a really clean sea salt Cornish sea salt is collected from out in the ocean so it's very very clean not sort of lots of you know um, silt in it or whatever uh, mix that in and when that's mixed in nicely then we'll put it into the mold punch it into the molds by hand these cloth lined molds and that's what they're doing now yeah. the men in there with their blue yeah. gloves and blue hats and white um, overalls they've got these big buckets with muslin cloth in and they're scooping up the curd the curd the that's curd, right and packing it down yeah, punching it down. Punching it with all fours. That must be quite cathartic. <laughs> yes. You do think of your worst enemy. <laughs> you have lots of different types of cheese. Like you've got elderflower cheese. Um, I get the feeling that you you still quite enjoy the experimentation. Oh well, I mean, there's so much fun, you know. There's so much fun to be had. Well, we I've. Um, helped to uh, found this, create this Academy of Cheese, which is to allow people to learn about all the amazing cheeses that can be made. So you can, level one, you get to eat 25 different cheeses. Level two is 100. So it's so much fun. This sounds brilliant. It is lovely. Yeah. <laughs> you, can study, you can study, do it online or you can, you know, there are people, well, we do, uh, can, we're going to do one on what, uh, Wednesday, an oh, Academy brilliant. of Cheese course on the farm, so people can actually see the cheese being made. Well, we can't go in there because we have sure. we're not dressed up. Okay. Just seeing if we can, somebody could perhaps pass us a bit. We could, uh, we could see if somebody will. I didn't warn them that we were coming round. Okay. We could taste some curd. A fresh curd is one of the. Buttery. Thank you. Oh, Canadians love it. Canadians and Americans love it, but people in this country don't quite. Wow. Thanks very much. Ah, we're going into the cool room. Well, it's just, um, yeah. So this is a big long room with big wooden shelves stacked. So these will hold hundred cheeses. A hundred each? Yeah. Wow. So For each block. Is, oh, and the then smell. these are the new balls, made 3rd of May. 3rd of May. Well, they look like marble. Marble Aren't cylinders. They? Yes. And, then, and up there, yes, they just look lovely, don't they? So the cloth, so we mill them, get them into those moulds, put them into cloth-lined moulds, oh. doing the moulds for three days. And then over those three days, 
uh, we put them in a finer and finer cheesecloth and this is the final cheesecloth that we put them in and so so the cheese can breathe so that uh, so you know what's between those cheese and the outside world is 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 cloth. Yeah. When this store is full, it's amazing. It's like time travel. You can walk through and see that impact of aging on on cheese. Yeah. And we can, I guess, a little bit here. See if any of these older ones have. No, they're all just starting to. They're going yellow. Yeah, a little bit starting just to mould up a little bit. The first, the first signs of mould, and then and the milk is very much the flavour of our cheese, of our land. Mm. You know, those pastures there yeah. makes a different flavoured milk than from somebody else's farm. Yeah, and those cows make a different flavoured milk. Those starters with all of those lots and lots of different community of microorganisms makes an amazing flavour and then you know the way we make it hand make it slightly different judgments will bring out different of those flavours and then um, they come into here you know the enzymatic traces of those microorganisms are left but at the same time with this um, cloth on the outside gently losing a little bit of moisture feeds a whole community of microorganisms on the right and those microorganisms while it's the same species as you might find on any cherry around the world actually what they've now discovered which is amazing that each farm has got its own subspecies that develop wow i know so that you it's really i mean blows your mind you know this cheese is so much a flavor of this very place wow and i just i find that so exciting Inside the cheese shop. Should we uh, taste some cheese? That would be lovely. What would you like to taste? Do you want to taste through? Tell you what, how about tasting some elderflower? Because it is elderflower's just starting to think about, well, it's not quite thinking of flowering, but it will be in a bit. Fantastic. What kind of cheddar? Sort of what stage of the. It's, it's very mild, quite young, about. Sarah, would you be able to. Yes. Can yeah, we a, try a bit of elderflower? Um, six months, isn't it? Is it? Well, it depends. Yes, yeah, sort of, yeah, four to six, I think, we do. We make it. And do you dry out the elderflower first? Is it, is it from here, the, the elderflower? We were getting it from round here, but the boys who were doing it got fed up with picking the, picking the elderflower. So, actually, it mainly, it, uh, it's not from round here, but it's... We haven't noticed an enormous difference. No, I'm sure. I'm sure. But what a great idea. Well, uh, uh, um, she's a customer of ours, in fact, who now runs the Academy of Cheese. Oh. Who's uh, Tracy Colley, and she said, oh, go on, Mary, put some elderflower in your cheese. Uh, and I went, no, I don't want to. We don't put, I don't, we don't want to put bits into cheese. Yeah. You know. And so, oh, go on, about two years later, I thought, oh, I'm just going to have to do it just to see what worked. And actually, I think what we were, well, see what, what it tastes like when Sarah gives it to us. Thank you. Thank you very Sarah, much. Sarah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Mm. 
So I wanted it so you wouldn't really know where the aromatic of the cheese ended mm. and the aromatic of the elderflower ended and the butteriness of the cheese began. Completely. That is very holistic. Mmm. It's a lovely summery cheese. It's wonderfully tangy and it's buttery to taste, or waxy, I should say, but with a bit of texture in it. Is that from. That's from the centre of one of those rounds, isn't it? Mm. That's what gives it that buttery kind of. Mm. Well, maybe we should have had it from. A sort of nose to round. It's mm. very nice. Um, where do you want to go next? Wow. And we go for another delicate cheese, which is um, mm. the Lady Prue, which is a, a mix of goat and goat and cow. Okay. And named it after my mum, who died last year. So. I've never tried goat's milk and cow's milk together in a cheese. In fact, I don't think. I've ever seen. Could you would you do a nose to round and then and then cut that in half so we each have half if you see what I mean? Mm. Um, yeah, something I saw going uh, judging cheese in America. Okay. The people were doing mixed milk and um, oh, why don't we why don't we try? Mm. You learn so much, don't you, when you get you know see what other people are doing around the world. Where did you get the goat's uh, milk from? There's um, a lovely lady um, at Budley Salterton, so a little town close by mm -hmm. on the sea, who's got who's got some milking goats. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, I'm still thank reeling you. from that elderflower. It's deliciously tangy. Mm. It's quite delicate. Mm. Oh, it's lovely. It's got a kind of gouda kind of hint to it. Mm. Yeah, the mm. goat's milk actually tends to make um, a slightly sort of firmer cheese. And if you if you treat it like a cheddar, which obviously we do. Mm. And really sort of delicate goaty flavour. A lot of people have goat's cheese because they want, um, you know, dairy-free, but actually why not have it for its flavour because it's delicious. Mm. That is amazing. So it's very delicate and you have to sort of wait for it to tell you a little bit of a story. Mm. You might have taken the rind, a bit of rind, so if there's... Oh, I did completely. Is that OK? Mmm. That's delicious. Um, can we have a little bit of vintage? Would you like to tell us about nose to rind? Well, because our cheeses are... Sorry, I've got a mouthful of... I was in a little sorry. cheesy dream of my own. <laughs> um, because our cheeses are made with a cloth, mm. and as you can see, they breathe, and actually lose quite a bit of moisture, and by the time it gets down to two years old, the vintage cheddar, each 27 kilo cheese will have lost a couple of kilos. Um, so, and that will be preferentially from under the rind and a little bit from halfway in and, and will have lost less weight from right at the heart. And 
what drives maturation in cheese is the, or one thing that drives maturation in cheese, is the amount of moisture. So you actually get this differential maturation as you go back towards the rind. So you, you, um, thank you. And and also, if you t- smell the smell the rind, it, you just you just get different flavours. Oh yeah. So you've got a sort of ashy, earthier kind of mm. flavour on the on the rind at the top, mm. and then a that lovely young buttery. Mm. Smell so in got, the middle. So it's so sharp. What you've got is sharp and buttery at the nose. Mm. And I always think, well, and then halfway back, oh, you're right. Mm-hmm. But because it's lost some moisture, it's um, it's a little bit more crumbly, or not mm. crumbly, a little bit drier. That's wonderful. Mm. And for vintage, we select it. You know, not that it's going to. Oh, it not be overpowering, but with some of those a kind of of the three flavour families that our cheese has got, mm. uh, there's um, oniony, sharp, uh, grassy. Mm. Then there's brothy, brothy, meaty, umami, mm. and then you've got buttery and caramelly. And what we're looking for in one of these vintage cheddars is all three of those flavour families, and you've got sort of leading with the caramel, so that sort mm. of gentle gentle caramelly flavours so we, that's what we're doing when we taste at three months old and at 12 months old is working out which cheeses are going where mm. I wish I'm I enjoying could it. I'm really enjoying it <laughs> I wish I could um, reach out to everyone listening and give them a little bit of this incredible cheese with so many different flavours to it so many different parts of, the, of its journey you know, and we're looking for it to tell the story, mm. you know, those grassy notes. Mm. You know, this cheese at two years old will have come from actually April 2020. Wow, the wow hot, do you remember the hot that? Summer. Mm. Well, the hot summer and the f- first month of COVID, you know. I'll never forget it. Um, and, the, you know, and, and when the, but the cows are still out grazing. Mm. They had no idea. They had no idea. <laughs> they, were, they were happy. Um, <laughs> You know, and we were we were there tending them. You know, carrying on as as we were. Of course, suddenly, so many of our sales disappeared mm. because you know all of the restaurants closed. And people weren't travelling. People weren't going to football matches. You know, or you know, events, and lots of deli counters closed. Mm. So suddenly, like, oh my goodness me, what's happening? And but that was the extraordinary thing. I mean, people, it was really, really moving. We were, you know, we lost 60% of our sales. But people reached out to us and Mm. said, please, can we have your cheese? Mm. So that's where our our online sales went, grew times seven. Fantastic. And, um, you know, pretty much people are carrying on buying at at that level. And it's lovely to be able to have those conversations with people and Mm. explain to them what we're doing and you know, send them pictures and, you know, ha- have those direct conversations with end customers, which mm. kind of, I mean, I'm, I love all those people, you know, the chefs and the cheesemongers and everybody else who who um, 
tell our story for us, but it's also lovely to have those conversations direct with people ourselves. Mm. Do you ever get fed up with eating cheese? You seem to enjoy it. Every time I see you eat a bit, mm. there's no, there's no faking it. You don't seem tired or... <laughs> it's funny. When we're eating cheese, at, when we do these gradings, mm. And we'll eat maybe 40 to 50 cheeses wow. in um, an hour, Gosh. Uh, an hour or slightly more. And by the end of that, actually we're still interested, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe not quite so, you know, mm. but I still might have cheese for lunch. Wow. <laughs> Brilliant. Mary, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for showing me your farm. It's been so much fun. Introducing me to all this amazing cheese. The people at KPMG make the difference for their clients. Talented teams leveraging the right technology to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity. KPMG teams together with their clients working shoulder to shoulder with them to help grow and transform their enterprise. Are you ready to make the difference together? Go to visit.kpmg.us backslash transformation to learn more. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you very much, Tanya, for introducing us to all that cheese down at Quick's Dairy in Devon. Glad to say that Tanya's joined me, Fergus Collins. I'm the host of the podcast, but Tanya's joining me in the studio. Tanya, lovely to see you. Hello, thank you for having me. And we're both here with Hannah, who is regular in the podcast studio and helps produce our podcast. So lovely to see you both. Jack isn't here this week, but we have very wonderful replacement in Dan. And Dan, I don't know if you can, he's waving through the glass. Hello, <laughs> hello, hello. So Tanya, that was great. It was really interesting hearing you visit that, you know, what ostensibly is a very successful farming business, but so much wildlife. We could hear it and we could, you described it beautifully, both of you. It was wonderful. So, and that's clearly a part of Mary's sort of farming life. Absolutely, it? yes. And it's always been that way, uh, that farm um, from when her parents had it always the same you know significant portion over to wildlife and you can see and hear it all around i like the way that she said that the landscape you could taste the landscape in mm. the cheese so kind of with a very sort of boring monocultured landscape don't feel there'd be any flavor anything grown in it yeah. which is sadly quite a lot of southern southern england's landscape is can be a little bit plain and i don't want to say something too rude about the countryside but yeah, so it, it feels like the richer and more wildlifey and kind of trees and hedgerows, perhaps that does infuse the, the final product with something. Absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah. you tasted it. We did taste it. You're quite right, yeah. I didn't. Poor Hannah was, <laughs> was at home at the time when we did. So in our preview of this series, we did a little taster of, uh, Tanya very generously brought in some of Mary's cheese. 
and it was it was very good. I mean, I'm not sure I could say exactly that I could taste Devon and mm, and goldfinches, gold <laughs> yeah, greenfinches, even which are really, I love to taste. But it was a very rich and complex thing, and perhaps that's perhaps that does come. You know, the, the the more varied your soil, the more varied your landscape. Just wonderful, really great. I loved what she was saying about the yeast profile and how recent studies have shown that yeasts in different cheeses in different locations, they can be the same strain of yeast as from somewhere else, but they develop their own cultures. So every set of yeast becomes completely unique. Based on that particular area? Based on the environment. Wow, That's so right. whatever's, whatever's in the air or in the ground or in the, in the, in the parlour. Yeah. Goodness me. That's like people with different accents. Well, yes, yeast with accents. <laughs> um, Friendly or not. <laughs> really exciting. Well, so that was a delicious cheese. It was mostly she produces cheddar. Completely cheddar, yes. And yeah. she's got some, you know, different different variants, but they're all cheddar. So there's goat's cheddar and then there's goat's milk and cow's milk cheddar, which I think I brought in. Yes, yeah, um, delicious though. So ch- yeah, ch- cheddar is perhaps the most familiar British cheese and... And it's such and the best, a, surely. The best, well, <laughs> or is it? Mm. Um, but, well, I start. What are you, what is your favourite cheese? Then is, is I that think cheddar? it has to yeah. be a good crumbly cheddar. Good crumbly cheddar, Hannah. Have you got a? Uh, I think I'm a feta girl. A feta girl. Yeah. Oh, you're leaving these shores for, for no. That's fine. that's fine. Well, you know, we're a free and open society <laughs> still on the podcast. So. Um, feta. Feta and halloumi and all those kind of like amazing. No, squeaky and crumbly. Novelty cheese. <laughs> it's not novelty. <laughs> Although I will, I, I will go for like a smoked cheddar at Christmas time, which I know is a bit like smoked nah. cheddar. No, that's wonderful. Oh, good, good. No, okay. no, we are. We're, that's not. Good. That's that's perfectly acceptable. I, I, that was the first cheese I ever ate as a child when smoked. smoked no, no, cheddar. no, no. Kind of those little like sausages <laughs> yeah, yeah, in orange wrappers. I don't know yes. what uh, what you call them these days, but they were. Kind of like a bouncy ball, yeah. <laughs> but, but with a smoky flavour. Whether it being near any smoke, I don't know. But uh, I suspect the, the cheddar you eat uh, is far superior. <laughs> um, I like. I really like kafili, but kind of not the supermarket kafili. That's all mm. crumbly and a bit like sometimes a bit like eating wet chalk. There's a really amazing. Lots of Welsh producers in the valleys and beyond. Well, obviously, that's where Kef- the town of Caffili is. It's just the most extraordinarily delicious cheese and quite golden in colour with this grey rind. I don't know uh, if I've ever tried it. Is it, yeah, is it a soft cheese? Or? Um, medium hard, I would say. Mm-hmm. More cheddary in appearance, but maybe creamier. Gold. Oh, it's difficult mm. to say. It's a, like you were describing, it's varied in colour, but it's aged and has this. Just deliciousness. Wow, it's so Moorish. I think that's the thing with cheese. You just start eating it and cripes, you've gone through the, <laughs> the whole pack. And, and what do you good. have with it? That's another big question. Welsh air. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, good fresh bread, I think. For All this stuff about crackers, it's so dry. <laughs> Am I wrong? I love a sourdough cracker. Sourdough cracker, gosh, that really is the high, the heights of, of good eating, isn't it? The little um, like digestive biscuits you can have. Oh, right, well, the slightly sweet ones. Yeah. Oh. With cheddar, beautiful. Oh, okay. Right, well, that would, I would like to say we could taste all this here, but we don't have that in the studio. We did the cheese tasting anyway. 
But because you're in Devon, I'm like, happy to say that we do have some tastings here. But because you're in Devon, and we were also in Cornwall last week, weren't we? We were. So we had this sort of thought that Devon and Cornwall, never the twain shall meet. <laughs> and one of the things that they don't meet over is the scone. Scone. Well, that's something we're not going to meet over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hannah, can you just, can you... Scone or scone? I'm a scone person. Scone, scone. Yeah, because yeah. I once heard Nicholas Parsons say scone, so I thought, well, he says it's it. got to be right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's because my dad is from Yorkshire originally. Oh, is it, a, is it a more northern thing to say well, scone? think about oh. it, scone. Scone, okay. That's an excellent point. Could be scone. Skin. <laughs> You're getting further, further north. <laughs> so the issue is that they have, although they'll have the same scone, or scone uh, which is, for those who don't know what a scone is, um, it is a sort of little cake with, ours here have currants in them, but they don't always have them. Little baked cake. You, well, it's basically the same. I think it's the same mix as you'd make a dumpling with, but you add sugar. Ah, interesting. Oh, okay. Flour so and quite butter. heavy and sort of yeah. dense cake. Also the fastest cake. <laughs> of course. You're making up for Jack not being here. Okay. Yeah, he's gone. <laughs> so <there> was, <laughs> very good. So now we've got to get to the point here. <laughs> the point of this is that there's two ways, a very serious debate about how you eat cream and strawberry jam on Scone. Interestingly, though, is it always strawberry? It could be raspberry. We don't have to be dogmatic about the. Okay. the okay. I thought strawberry, summer strawberries, yeah. um, autumn raspberries. I may be wrong. Ooh, summer it's strawberries. We're it's in raspberry summer. native. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, you can grow raspberries everywhere. Yeah, particularly in Scotland. Scotland. Yeah. Scottish raspberries. Okay. So the big debate, which we're going to get to, <laughs> is whether you put cream first. And I'm not going to say, tell you which county, I know you probably already know which county does which. So whether you put cream first and then jam or jam first and then cream. So we've got a load of scones here to try. So shall we make them? You make them then, how you like it best. Then we'll discuss. And then, we'll, then, we, then we will discuss very much. So, and, and also taste both types and see if we can convince each other that we're right. <laughs> So I'm getting big dot dollops of cream, and on some scones I'm going to put cream first. Oh, do you want to go first? Oh, there we go. Right, Hannah is dishing out the jam. Jammy dish. I'm going jam first, just because I don't want to uh, get in anyone's way. Oh, I see. Okay, convenience. See, straight away my scone has crumbled under the weight of the cream. Yeah, these are very crumbly. Scones. Oops. Would you like some, some jam? Yes, please. Thank you. Um, jam has gone on first. And I'm finding that, oh, look at that. The jam is spreading everywhere. It's got, I've got no control over the jam. It's oh, really? squeezing out <laughs> the side of the scone. I see which way you're falling. <laughs> yeah, okay, so you're having problems putting cream on top of the jam, yeah. which the seems jam. to me. Yeah. So I'm putting, now I'm putting jam. Now I'm putting jam first. This is very scientific, and uh, so it's clotted cream we're using, which is oh. thick and yeah, thicker than a whale <laughs> omelette. It's thicker than um, what is it? Thicker than it's thick. It's thick, and it's got that lovely crystallised kind of fat on the top. Yeah, um, which gives it that sort of crunchiness. And we're using 
a popular brand of jam, um, which is very kind of soft. It's it's not like the ones you get in the little sachets that you might get from a tea room like or something. Yes. Like a jelly. So, you know, those are the textures we're working with here. So before we decide which let's um which one at this stage before eating do you prefer? Do you is your natural your natural habitat? What's your scone preference? Well, for me, it would be the cream before the jam, because to me, the cream is like the butter substitute. Okay. Hmm. I'm also cream first, uh, because the cream is my priority. So more important the cream is there than the jam. Okay. Really? Yes. No, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, priority cream. Yeah. See, I, I could take or leave the cream. I could have butter. What? Yeah, absolutely. Really? This is, this no. is, okay, well, let's taste. Um, I think we should go for the jam on top first. Okay. Okay. Which is not your favourite, is it? No, Fergus? my preference is the cream on top of the jam, but I'll give my reasons for that once I. <laughs> it's a very difficult process of eating a crumbly scone without sounding disgusting. That is delicious. Mm -hmm. it, and it melts in your mouth, the whole thing. And that was jam on top of cream. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And let's go for the superior one, which is the <laughs> cream on top of jam. Right. That is actually more different than I was expecting. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. Very yeah. surprising. Experience. Yeah. Much hard. Drier. Drier and less mm. good. Um, I don't know if it's less good, actually. I mean, it is different. I found it more jammy, sweeter. Mm. What, going cream first? And then uh, jam first. Jam sweeter. first, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wonder it's something to do with which taste buds it's coming into contact with. Mm. Quite nice, actually. I'm being converted. Quite nice to go from the jam to the cream and have that nice little surprise after. So, mm. so that is the Devon way of doing it. Cream first, then jam. And it's exactly what you said. The idea is that dairy product, it's like butter. Now, to me, I would never treat cream like butter. This is an abomination. <laughs> <laughs> Although they are the same thing. But um, cream is always a sort of ornamental You're delight. You're doing like a trifle. Yeah. So I've always gone the other way. Jam first, then a big dollop of cream, and it's like sort of having strawberries with cream poured on top. That feels, ah. that feels like a more natural way. But there's sense in, in, the, in the Devon way. I also have to say that the um, jam on top is more aesthetically pleasing. There's something about that kind of like white halo and a little bit of jam in the middle. Whereas when you try to spread the cream on top of the jam... It's all getting kind of confused, mixed together. Mm. And like, if I was having a cream tea, I'd have my cup of tea, I'd have my teaspoon, I'd save my knife for like opening the scone, putting the jam on, and then my teaspoon would then be used for the jam. So like, nothing would get mixed together. That's, That's quite, way too organised. Quite incredible, <laughs> quite incredible and, and admirable. Thank you. Um, this is so interesting. I did a tiny bit of research into this whole because it, it's, although this is a very frivolous thing, it, it's been a long-standing battle or a long-standing division. Uh, well, for as long as I, I, I've ever you know, known about scones. So the majority of people do apparently go for the cream after the jam. So using the jam mm. as a base layer and then dollop the cream on. But I'm I'm converted the other way. <laughs> I am actually converted to to the, the aesthetics are part of it. Whatever you eat has got to look good. Otherwise, stomach something inside you says no, thank you. Uh, so yes, you've won me over to Devon, having been a Cornish. <laughs> We're going to get letters. Well, please do get in touch if you agree, disagree, 
or have any views on this because it might be one of the biggest issues we've ever tackled in the the podcast. And I'm delighted that we've been able to educate all those poor souls who've been putting the jam on before the cream. Oh, my goodness. I think that's really dangerous. I wouldn't go that far, I'd say. (laughs) I'm sorry, I was born in Devon, so. (laughs) So it's fair fair for you to say. Uh, Meanwhile, for everyone in Cornwall, I I think it's, it's it's a close run thing. It's a very close run thing. And uh, either way, it's, well, it's different. So please do contact me, Fergus Collins. My email address is editor at countryfile.com. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. So that's our tasting for today. From one delicious delight to another delight. One of my, Again, it's my favourite place has cropped up in the podcast. So last week we had Megan, Megan Locke, who works with the Martin Down Farm Cluster. Now, Martin Down, you've heard me speak of it before, if you're a regular listener beautiful stretch of ancient magical downland on the borders of Hampshire, Wiltshire and Dorset. And she sent in a lovely clip of turtle doves, which are so rare and so beautiful. Anyway, this week, a folk singer under the title Original Spruce has sent in a song that he has recorded on Martin Down, about Martin Down. And he says, on the Wiltshire-Hampshire border, Amongst the green desert of modern industrial agriculture lies a thousand acres of Martin Down, an unspoilt oasis of ancient southern downland. Lie in the summer grass and listen to the sounds is inspirational. This is my tribute song to a magical place. So he sent both video and uh, and a recording song. Uh, You can find it on YouTube if you look up original spruce Martin Down. But I think we're going to play out with this because we've... I think it's a nice way to, we're just going to have a little bit of this of this lovely tune. Thank you, Original Spruce. Long may you roam the wilds of Martin Down. And thank you, Hannah and Tanya, for your scone info. <laughs> your sconsense. Your, your sconsense. Um, and also thank you to everyone out there for listening. Here is Martin Down by Original Spruce. Mm-hmm.